please welcome Pastor David. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Nick. That was really well read. Hey, I just got to wait, make one comment about your um, your podcast with Mason up there. That photo must have been taken a few years ago, I reckon. <laughs> why do why do pastors and people who write books always put a photo twenty years old in it? <laughs> like it's a disappointment, isn't it? When you actually oh, hang on, Mason's got more grey hair than I realised. Gee, what's happened in the week since that photo was taken? But uh, no, it's it's very good. That, uh, thank you for the invitation of coming here. Uh, and to open God's word. Uh, it's precious and it's living and it changes people, doesn't it, uh, with the Spirit's help. I'm going to ask God to help uh, us in that endeavour right now as I preach and as the Holy Spirit works through it to convict and change and comfort us and to make us see how great a treasure Jesus really is. If you want to join with me in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can come together as your called out people We thank you that you have given us uh, creation to see your majesty, but you've given us your word to see who you really are. Lord, we thank you so much for the word who became flesh, Jesus, who came to reconcile us to you, that he has paid the price, as we've just been reminded so well, that Jesus died in our place to bring us to you. Lord God, help us as we look at Jonah, And uh, the two great refrains in Jonah, salvation belongs to you and that grace is available to anyone who calls out to help, for help. We pray this uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, I wonder if you've ever been in a crisis. Uh, Can you remember a time of intense difficulty or suffering? Uh, Maybe a flood, maybe a fire, maybe a family tragedy. Or maybe hanging from a hang glider in the Swiss Alps because your instructor forgot to strap you in. Did you see that this week? Two minutes 13, a man was hanging on for dear life as he was going over the Swiss Alps. That's a crisis, isn't it? (laughs) Apparently, he tore his bicep. Uh, what's What's the muscle in there? Bicep. And then when he crashed on the ground, he broke his wrist. But that's a crisis. I wonder what his instructor was saying. Oh, hang in there, mate. You'll be right. <laughs> Fair income. But crises happen every day, don't they? And what happens when one comes knocking at your front door or comes knocking down your back door? How do you respond? In despair, disbelief, a sense of hopelessness. The big question from this passage today is, can God... I'll just get this right. Oh, look at that. Are you doing that, Mark? I just did that then. Oh, terrific. Thank you. So the big question is, can God deliver when we are in a crisis? Can God deliver when we're in a crisis? And the other question is, is anyone too far gone for God to save? Let's get into it, eh? Open up your Bibles, look at uh, Jonah chapter 2. It's always helpful what I say is actually what God is saying. Uh, The first thing I want to remind myself and you guys is that the book of Jonah is full of a sovereign God who is at work to bring his purposes into his world. And the shock of this story is that the God of the Israelites, God's king and ruler, was sending his prophet... Jonah, to their enemies, the Ninevites. 
This was big news and hard news for the prophet Jonah. And he really couldn't take it in. And he went to great lengths, didn't he, in chapter 1, to, to, to not go to Nineveh. I'm sure Mason's been reminding you, as, as helping you see how crazy it was that this man of God was running away from God. You see, God's prophet, God's man on the ground, is running and turning away from God. And God's enemies and pagan sailors are repenting and running towards God. It's, it's upside down and back to front, isn't it? You can get a bit of an understanding of the predicament that Jonah was going through. He was making decision after decision that had huge implications for his life and ministry, didn't he? And he even admitted it back in chapter one, of, of, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, when he tells the sailors that he was fleeing from the presence of God. He was on the run from God. But, quoting Jonah from chapter 1, verse 9, can you run from the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land? And that's where we pick up this passage this morning. Jonah didn't want to go to the Ninevites, so he told the sailors to throw him overboard. It was going to be good for them, they would be safe, and it would be good for him because he wouldn't have to go to Nineveh. Now, this is a crisis for Jonah, isn't it? As Jonah was sinking, we read in verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Just as God provided the storm to get the sleeping prophet up onto the deck when he was on the, on the ship, he was providing a fish to preserve his man on the ground. Was it a fluke? Was Jonah just lucky that he happened to be at the right spot at the right time? Charles Spurgeon put it this way from this passage. It's up there on the screen. I'll read it out. In the great things of life and in the little things, God is ever-present. The swimming of a great fish in the sea is surely not a thing that is subject, that is subject to law. If ever there is a free agency in this world, it must certainly be in the wanderings of such a huge creature that follows its own instincts and ploughs its way through the great wastes of the wide and open sea. Yes, that is true, yet there is divine predestination concerning all its movements. Over every motion of the fin of every marrow, predestination presides. There is no distinction of little or great in God's sight. That he wings an angel, guides sparrows. Nothing is outside of our great big God. Not even a bloke swallowed by a fish. 72 hours is a long time, isn't it? Three days. It's a long time to be inside any room or any fish stomach. I'm wondering if Jonah, after he was engulfed, thought, after an hour, oh, hang on, I'm still alive. 
What about um, 12 hours in? Hang on, I'm still alive. One day, two days, three days. That's a long time. Oh, hang on. Look at verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of a fish. Three days in darkness and silence. Three days not speaking. Jonah finally prayed to his God. Did you notice that? Verse 1. He was, run, he was a runaway trying to escape from God's presence and God's purposes. Yet God was still his God. In verse 2, he says that finally he called out to God in distress. He says that he was in a place of Sheol, which means he was cut off from the living and he was cut off from God. It basically was a living hell. As Nick read it out, did you feel the weight of this prayer? He knows, Jonah knows the crisis that he is in and it's tough. You see, the problem was Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. And he really didn't want to. He was to go to these wicked people who used to boast about their cruelty. Some of their practices they performed were absolutely abhorrent. I read that one of their leaders, after he conquered a rebellious city, skinned alive the city leaders and then would drape their skins on the perimeter to show how powerful he was. That's the type of people that the Ninevites were. They were really re- wicked. Julian reminded me, it'd be like us going to ISIS and saying, you've got to stop this. It wouldn't end well, would it? Jonah knew that there were really only two outcomes possible. They'd, they'd reject his message and possibly skin him alive, definitely kill him, or the bigger thing would be that they would hear the message and they would receive mercy from Israel's God. Can you see Jonah's dilemma? Death or Israel's enemies being forgiven? I don't know about you, but can you see our problem in Jonah's response? We are happy to obey God until it could cost us something or it could hurt us or it could endanger our family, or inconvenience us too much. Maybe you obey God in lots of areas up until a point in your life, and then you say, no, no more, God. You see, things aren't great for Jonah, are they? And he's crying out to God. Look at verse 2. Have I got it up there? Oh, there, it's up there already. Terrific. He is in a living hell, cut off from Life, cut off from the living and cut off from God. Verse 3, he's been cast down into the deep with a dangerous current with no hope. Have a look at verse 4. He says, I'm driven away from your sight. A dreadful, that's experienced a dreadful sense of loneliness, isn't it, from God? Verse 5, he says that he, the deep waters have closed over him to the point of death and weeds were wrapped around his head. He was, he was suffocating Look at verse 6. He says, I went down to the roots of the mountains and went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah was stuck in a fish stomach with hopelessness, his only friend. 
Do you get the sense that Jonah feels like God's forgotten him? You can, you can, can't you? But had God forgotten him? No. Maybe you have felt that you have been forgotten by God. You might be in the depths of the sea today and the pounding waves keep coming at you and you feel like that you, that you are drowning and that you sense that everything is hopeless and the loneliness is overwhelming and that darkness may be your only friend. Quite often we have to get to the end of ourselves, don't we? Whether in our achievements or our abilities or our status, to realise that life without God is hopelessness. And God graciously allows us to go there to see that he is all we need. Can I encourage you? Encourage is a great word, isn't it? It means to impart courage. Can I encourage you, whether you are in a crisis right now or whether it could be coming around the corner, a loving God, a God who is in control, is using it to bring you back to himself. That's good news, isn't it? If we know anything from the God of the Bible, it has to be that he is unrelenting in his pursuit of his loved people even when they are running away from him. The other great truth, the fact that we know about our God is that he will never leave us or never forsake us. I wonder if you're like me. I find that I'm very good at listening to myself and I start to catalogue all my crises and take my complaints to God and grumble to him. Maybe it's strained or broken relationship. Or maybe it's no job. Or maybe that your health has taken a spiral downwards and things aren't going the way that you had thought they would and you can feel overwhelmed and crushed. It's in those moments that I need to start talking to myself about who God is And what he has done. We're very good listeners. But sometimes we're not real good talkers. You see scattered in Jonah's prayer. He starts to practice that. He starts talking to himself. Did you notice that? Jonah's position hasn't changed. But his posture has. He was still inside the belly of a fish. And yet his language was starting to change. Look at the end of verse 6. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. But he's still in the fish. You see, Jonah remembered who his God was and all the benefits of knowing the power and characteristics of Yahweh. There may be many deep pits, but God's love is deeper still. You see, God was doing something through this time for Jonah and in Jonah. He's always doing something in our lives. It's just whether we can see it or not. God didn't put Jonah in a flubbery coffin. He put him on an operating table and he was doing some fine surgery 
on Jonah's soul. Jonah had begun to realise that his biggest problem wasn't that he was in the fish of a belly, a belly of a fish, but it was his sin problem, his rejection of a sovereign God, a sovereign God's good rule and good reign. I love the quote by John Piper where he says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. Why does that help in a crisis? I think it's helpful because it fills us with a confidence and a great hope, doesn't it? It allows us to attach ourselves to something outside and something bigger than ourselves, doesn't it? Even when we are deliberately running away, God is actively pursuing his people to fulfil his purposes. He uses circumstances and brokenness to shift our hearts and minds, to grow us to trust and obey. Trust and obey in every area of our life. Do we believe that? Or do we think that we know what's best for our lives? It's a problem, isn't it? I'm honest, so I've got to be honest. So often we shake our puny little fist at God and say that, that we know better than what he knows. Or we accuse him of, of not knowing what he is doing. I've even thought that I could do a better job at my life than God can. Uh, pride is ugly, isn't it? It, it? It's a cancer. It's a spiritual cancer. And we all start seeing like Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. You see, pride makes us think that we are at the centre of the universe and all things and all people revolve around us. The foolishness of pride is that we put more value on the gifts than the giver. It's idolatry, isn't it? Idolatry is is anything that we put before God, whether comfort or career or kids or grandkids or retirement or relationships We ask them to do for us what only a sovereign good God can do. Idols can't save. Idols can't satisfy. Idols can't deliver you when you are in a crisis. Jonah's idolatry problem was as big as the sailor's idolatry problem. He thought that he would be better, he thought it would be better to disobey God and hold on to the things that he loved more than to obey God and hold on to God instead. Jonah put a higher price on what he loved than trusting God. Jonah loved his life, he loved his identity, he loved his comfort. He held tightly to his prejudices against the Ninevites. They weren't deserving of God's kindness and mercy. If we are trusting in anything or anyone but in God alone, verse 8 says that we're cooked. Whether it was the sailors on the ship or the people of Ninatha or even the nation of Israel. Jonah knew this way didn't work. By God's sheer mercy, Jonah was beginning to see and think and speak accurately. 
verse 7 tells us that when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah has come to see that it is far better to be in relationship with his God in the bottom of an ocean, in the, in the belly of a fish, than to be on dry ground and trying to escape from God. The key word in verse 8 is grace or his steadfast or steadfast love. Some scholars, and Mason agreed, so he's a scholar, uh, think that verse 8 is the key for the whole book of Jonah. I think there's 24 verses before it and 23 after it. In the Hebrew, grace means, or God's steadfast love means hesed, which means covenantal love. It was God's special love for his people, the nation of Israel. And it appears that Jonah is understanding that it's God's right to shower his grace, his one-way covenantal love, on anyone he chooses. Aren't we thankful for that today? Jonah knew that he is needing God's grace as an Israelite just as much as the Ninevites needed it. Look at the end of verse 9. Salvation is from the Lord. God's grace, his one-way love, is available to anyone who recognises their need for help. Humanity is incapable of saving ourselves. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians so well, he says, We are helpless and hopeless. We are dead in our sins and trespasses against God. That's got to be our greatest crisis, isn't it? It's the whole story of the Bible, really, isn't it? That we can't save ourselves and God walks towards us. I don't know if you picked it up, but Jonah's posture has changed, hasn't it, through this prayer. He can see his own sin and comes to the end of himself to confess that he can't save himself. Not from the fish or from God. You see, nothing had changed physically yet for Jonah. But a significant shift had begun to take place in Jonah's heart. It's the truth that can set us free from despair and hopelessness. It's the truth that can set us free in the face of loss and sadness. It's the truth that can allow us to trust that God not only saves but uses circumstances and events to show and prove and demonstrate his love for us. I don't know if you've heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, she's a quadriplegic of 50 plus years. Uh, she had a diving accident. You've probably, a lot of people may have heard of her. She has had her fair amount of suffering and pain, both physically and mentally and spiritually and relationally. Lots of why has this happened to me moments. Johnny has had to learn to trust in God's hesed love, his covenantal love. A few weeks ago, Johnny underwent tests for a small nodule in, uh, which had developed in, in her breast. It had happened after um, she had breast cancer in eight years ago and she just wanted to get this checked out. Doctors found a small cancerous tumour 
with, within that nodule. Have a listen to Johnny's response as the doctor was speaking to her about this. When I received the unexpected news of cancer from my oncological surgeon, I relaxed and smiled, knowing that my sovereign God loves me dearly and holds me tight in his hands. What good is it if we only trust when the Lord or trust the Lord when we understand his ways? That only guarantees a life filled with doubts. I relaxed and smiled, knowing that my sovereign God loves me dearly and holds me tightly in his hands. I wonder, I wonder if Jonah started to smile in that fish. You can do that when you realise that salvation belongs to the Lord. It's God's story, not ours. We can do that and say salvation belongs to the Lord and that allows us to trust him and find rest in him, whatever our circumstance. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Like Jonah, we need to be rescued, not from the belly of a fish, but from ourselves and our sin problem. We've all turned our backs and run from God and we've said, God, I don't want you and I don't need you in our life. And I certainly don't want to obey you. It's a real simple, simple definition of what sin is, isn't it? Saying no to God. And without God's hesed love, we still would be dead. In the book of Jonah, God is really concerned for his glory and to show his unrelenting grace and mercy to a people who totally don't deserve it. First, the Ninevites, when God told Jonah to go. Next, the pagan sailors, even Jonah. You see, God is in the business of saving people and bringing them back into relationship with himself. Have you got to the point, like Jonah, where he saw his need of rescuing from himself and that we don't don't deserve to be saved at all like Jonah? The very God who we have rebelled against has come running after us and has saved us. That's very good news, isn't it? That we are far more worse and lost and sinful than we realise, yet but more loved by God than we will ever comprehend. Where can we see that most clearly? It's at the cross, isn't it? Where God's unrelenting love and his magnificent mercy collide. As Jesus hung, on, hung and died on the cross, he went down to the depth and had weeds wrapped around his head. Death had snuffed out his life. He went to a place of Sheol. Why? Not because he ran from God. He was not trying to avoid God's work. But precisely for that reason. Jesus came to die in our place, to pay the price once and for all. The perfect sinless man became sin for us, to save us. The only right response, really, in light of who Jesus is, 
is to say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. To thank him that he entered into our biggest crisis and saved us. Your circumstance might not change. Things might not go well for you. But your posture and your position before a holy God has because of Christ. I'm going to finish with a series of questions. I'm going to read them out. Might be an application for you from this. Where do you turn when a crisis comes? Where do you run to find refuge? What brings you greatest comfort? Have you surrendered to a sovereign God who works together for the good of those he loves? Have you experienced God's love for you demonstrated to you at the cross of Jesus? Have you surrendered yourself to trusting God with all your life without knowing how it will turn out? Has your heart been radically changed because of the good news that Jesus came to set us free and to pay the price for our sin by dying in our place? Have you received the grace of God poured out onto us so generously? These answers have their yes through trusting in Christ alone. 